The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, my friends, and welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is Marita Fridjon, co-founder of CRR Global. She was born in South Africa and is now based in the USA. Now, Marita has an academic background with degrees in medical and psychiatric social work, as well as family systems therapy. She grew up in South Africa during the apartheid era and became a faculty member at Cape Town University. And these early experiences in her life profoundly impacted her. And in many ways, as you're going to hear Marita describe, they created a grounding for her to want to explore systemic change, driving her towards cross-cultural research, including two years on the Amazon River and work in Brazil, Peru, Colombia, the British West Indies and Puerto Rico, just to name a few. Now, the outcome of these experiences provided training and focus on corporate, NGO and government work using mediation, process work, consulting and coaching. And together with her partner, Faith Fuller, she founded the international training and consulting business, CRR Global, and as CEO, Marita heads up a globally distributed leadership team with partners in 14 different countries and a global training faculty. She also develops curriculum and she provides team coaching. Now, in today's dialogue, we're talking about a core aspect of Marita's work and how it relates to our work as changemakers. But I want to encourage you to listen here and listen deeply because this is not only a very inspiring and hopeful and deep and emergent conversation, but it speaks of a different way of being in the world a different way of showing up to relationships. And I would even go so far to say a way of redefining maybe even how we show up as humans, which may be simple, but also profound in terms of the sheer power of this work to make a difference in our world. The title of our conversation is From the Speed of Change to the Pace of Evolution. How do we create and support systems-inspired evolution? And if you like reading, you might also want to know that Marita has written an article called Relationship Systems Intelligence, Transforming the Face of Leadership. And she's also co-author of several books, including Creating Intelligent Teams and, of course, the best-selling systems-inspired leadership. So go get yourself a cup of tea and settle down. Just create some space for yourself to really listen to this inspiring conversation. So without further ado... Let me introduce you to Marita Fridjon. Hey, Marita, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Thank you. Uh, it's such a, a pleasure to sit with you. Thank you. No, it is. And I, I am extremely excited about our conversation coming up because, you know, we've known each other now for quite a few years. We don't have a lot of contact, but you've always been someone and somebody's body of work that I've truly respected. So I can't wait to share you with the Sacred Changemakers audience. 
But before we do, um, you know, everyone's just heard your professional bio and I'd love for you to kind of walk us into who is the real life human that lies behind the bio? Who is she? Well, first of all, thank you for the very generous introduction <laughs> and honoring of uh, our work. Um, so when you're talking about who is the real life human, you know, depends on which day you ask me. But what I'm aware of is since we are talking about um, systems inspired evolution, I think that there is something in my history that is part of what had me recognize that um, this is what's happening. So I grew up in South Africa during the apartheid era. And I think my experience there as a young child growing up on a farm in the Sebi Desert and only black kids around me that I play with was part of my early history. And I had a father and a mother who was very woke, unquote, for their time. Uh, so um, my, my how I grew up was pretty different. I was hugely surprised and couldn't figure out what was happening when I went to school and there were no black kids or colored people because colored people is what um, in, the, in the Karoo is. So that was the first awakening to something like this. And I think that growing up and being on the faculty of Cape Town University, where, which was one of the two universities that was, um, was open to all races, is part of what shaped who I became and my hunt for how do we create change. I think combining that with a fairly traumatic childhood where both my parents were uh, died by the time I was 12, there was mm -hmm. just, there was a, um, a life of searching for answers. How do we do things differently? How do we, and it was very much a fixing, how do we fix and prevent things from happening? So I think it, it, it influenced uh, what I did for training. Um, it, it, it just shaped my whole life into ending up in uh, social work and then in medical social work and then in psychiatric social work and answering uh, hotlines, suicide hotlines, and then becoming a family systems therapist. It was all of that was hunting in the direction of, and it was trying to heal my childhood trauma and everything that was happening there. I think the rest of my life, as I became aware that uh, South Africa, the challenge of apartheid couldn't be solved from within or in the one-to-one. -one. Right. So it was only when, and I'm bringing this example because it, it's, it's hugely uh, important in how things get shaped for me. The, the shift there only happened when other countries started uh, leveraging tax, taxes against South Africa because of apartheid. It was only when the, uh, when the, financial burden get, got created, that change started to happen. At the mm -hmm. same time that academia and medical people were just leaving the country. So it was that, that was the first awareness that doesn't matter how often I stand on the street, on the side of my colleagues who are colored and black, when I stand there, I still am white. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter that I also get taken to jail, because I arrived in the jail as a white person. So there was just that insoluble thing for me. So I think 
that part of my history changed a lot and shaped a lot of what I was doing. Um, also then combined with early death in my family. So I ended up with uh, my Irish husband who wanted to sail up the Amazon. Um, ended up, we ended up doing that on a 30 foot uh, yacht sailing from Cape Town to Brazil and up the Amazon where I did, because I was busy with the masters on what happens to in death and dying in other cultures. Mm-hmm. So what are we not talking about dying and going to heaven? What happens in other cultures? So the Amazon was one of the first places. So there was there's just a series of that. I, I kept on trying to move out of that which was familiar to find where the other wisdoms are. And I think that mm-hmm. the learning on the river was amazing in terms of how people create from where they are. Mm-hmm. So long story short, lived in different countries, uh, kept following different de- de- degree parts, and then started focusing on what is it that is required within the bigger systems to bring change about in business and in other places. So um, OD development and different things, but. There was a place, and I mentioned it to you earlier as well, when I, I, I burned out as a therapist. I wanted to do something different. And it was when I first became in touch with the coaching industry through going to training at CTI that it felt like all of those gems that got gathered in the hunt for understanding and sense-making came together in a different way in coaching, where it was, it was not working with a problem, but looking at an opportunity. It wasn't trying to fix something behind um, and a diagnosis, but it was looking at the dreaming of what might be possible. So I think that's how I ended up in the coaching industry. Mm -hmm. And um, that shaped so much of where I am moving now and where we have been moving through Sierra Global as a global coach training company. Mm -hmm. That's a long story, but... But I love it, Marisa, because, but, you know, underneath what you're telling me here is, you know, it's obvious that you gained a lot of insights along your life's journey. And and I'd say they're pretty unusual insights as well for somebody growing up, probably quite young in your life, right? But underneath what you're telling me as well, this this need for change that was arising throughout your life that you kind of had a sense of also tells me that there were problems and issues that you saw early on and potentially that you you maybe had a vision for a better world. And this is something we talk about at Sacred Changemakers. And I wonder if, you know, right here at the outset, you would just share with us, maybe it's about the problems and what vision that led to, or maybe it's just about the vision for you. I don't know, but I'd love you to share what yeah. kind of lies just beneath the surface of this search that you were on. I think what I what I sit with now is that um, as a family systems therapist, I became so aware of the interdependence mm. uh, between family members, so mm-hmm. that we can look at who's the patient, who's the person that's the troublemaker, but combine that with systemic thinking that troublemakers a role occupied within the system. So I think that there was the beginning to look at how do we not blame? 
but how do we create from and depersonalize just a little bit more so that it becomes a systemic issue or a systemic expression and people are not so defensive. So mm-hmm. I think there is something there um, that shifted for me and what's part of what led me, uh, family systems therapy is what led me into systemic thinking mm-hmm. uh, and, and beginning to navigate what is happening and what is normal in systemic evolution. And I think that is a piece that uh, humanity at the moment is working on, uh, that there are systemic issues that are expressed through individuals. And how do we, how do we instead of you know, looking at who's doing what to whom, how do we look at that as an invitation for something to change or break down? Mm. rather than the myopic one view or me view that's just looking at one place or from one place yeah and you know when I look out into the world I can't help but notice you know that we live in systems nested within systems so I just love you you know to explain a little bit about what you mean when you say systems thinking because there may be some of our audience that aren't fully aware of 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 what we're talking about here yeah thank you I think that the simplest way to think about that is that there isn't there literally isn't anything in on or outside our planet that is not a system Um, And a system simply is a group of particles or entities or people in a interdependent relationship around a common uh, cause or purpose. So in this moment, there is the two of you, two of us sitting in, this is our system or what we would call our third entity or the relationship between ourselves. And that relationship is informing how we talk and what we do more so than we think our individuals, our individual views are doing it. There's something emerging in the system between us. So when you think of systems as your body is a system, there are parts mm-hmm. that are, you know, we know how that, if I eat the wrong food, then my tummy get upset. And then that's a systemic issue. So mm-hmm. it's that piece. How do we begin to lift the gaze from who's doing what to whom in instead look at what's trying to emerge Uh, and that's that's pretty much what modern systems theory are looking at as well theories so i know you've done extensive work with leaders and your book which i thoroughly enjoyed and highly recommend systems inspired leadership that you uh co-authored with frank wick um i i just want to encourage all of our listeners to go and get a copy uh the links are in the show notes but I'd love you to just kind of give us a sense of, you know, what does systems have to do with leadership at the end of the day? <laughs> Why is it so important? Well, um, if you think about leadership, um, then if it's if we're looking at systems-inspired leadership, it immediately take the onus off of me as the leader or you as the podcast producer at that moment in this moment in time it take the burden of you to do it on your own mm. because it can't you can do a lecture on the book but you mm. are in a creative co-creative systems inspired discussion that mm. leads us to places that we never even plan to go to so i think it's that place how do we get 
leaders to begin to lean more into the system or the team and that input than trying to think that the leader, his or herself, is going to have all the answers. And that's part of what the book is about. Um, interviews with, you know, uh, 30 plus people that has done some of our work um, and talk about how it lifted the load, it made it easier. So uh, we can have a big conversation about how and what does that look like in leadership. Um, and the place that I also am looking at at the moment is that uh, it's not just systems-inspired leadership, but it really is the thing that we talk about in the title, that it is what is systems-inspired evolution look like? Because part of what so much of what we see is breakdown in systems, whether it's in corporate structures or whether it is in what's happening to nature, there's a breakdown. And we can say that or think that society or humanity is working on its dark side at the moment. That certainly is one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. um, but if we look, begin to look for systems-inspired answers um, to what is trying to happen, that's a very different place mm -hmm. from the accusatory social media language publications that are out there that blames it on somebody. Mm. Um, so there's a piece there that I think is a, is a critical piece for us to do. And it's not easy to talk about systems inspired change or leadership or evolution unless we really also remember and think about what we talk about as um, the five principles of relationship systems intelligence, because that gives us a different lens and access point to all of this. Yeah. And I definitely want to dive into that with you because... You know, as you were talking there, it was just really kind of jumping out at me how what we're really discussing when we're talking about systems is the relational aspects of the system. Yes. Now, the challenge there, I think, for a lot of us is that that's invisible, <laughs> right? It's not a, you know, when we think about the world today and how it's been shaped by the scientific mindset and, you know, we've got to have data, we've got to be able to touch it and feel it and see it. And if we can see it, then we can believe it. That kind of a mindset yeah. still operates in a lot of organizational life. So before you go in to talk to us about the relationship systems intelligence, I'd love for you just to give our listeners a sense of what's the appetite like? for this kind of a conversation uh, in organizational life today, Marie And have you seen a change over the past, say, decade or so? I think actually that, I think COVID maybe accelerated it and it you know, slowed some things down, but it also accelerated something. And I think that what we see at the moment um, in the coaching industry, in how that also is impacting leadership and organizational uh, responsiveness. What we see is a shift towards slowing down and creating from. And one of the ways in which we can see that, and remember I grew up in the uh, psychotherapeutic uh, world and professions and mental health issues, but there is something around being in where supervision is mandatory, sitting in a reflective space about the work that you do with a patient, um, with a supervisor, that, and it's simply a reflection. It's not looking at what you did well, what you did wrong, what you blah, blah, any of, it really is the reflection 
of what happened and what do you feel in and i think that is the piece mm -hmm. that is missing for us as humanity we are going too fast in assigning blame we are going too fast in finding what is wrong there is a slow down that is about if we reflect about what's happening what do you notice mm -hmm. there's the return to paying attention to and quantum physics uh, plays into this as well, because there is what in physics is known as the parallel process, that what is a version of what is happening here is happening there as well. So there's that place where just reflecting allows us to get new information. So mm -hmm. when we started designing our training at Sierra Global, we were aiming at what we call operationalizing the theories that's around, you know, systems to think. It really is, how do you do this so that it's easy? There's a quote from Einstein that I love that says, and you're busy doing that, you're busy pushing me to that, that says, if you cannot explain something to a six-year-old, it means that you yourself don't understand it yet. Yeah. So there's all the jargon that we can use, but it really is about that reflective space of slowing down and getting curious and wondering about something. There's an Aboriginal, uh, an Aboriginal uh, I can't remember which tribe it is, um, but they, they have what we now call uh, something called dialoguing with questions. Mm. And if you think in the West, in the US, how, how seldom we ever dialogue with questions. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, you know, um, if there's a topic that we're struggling with, let's just have questions about it, stupid questions. And when I do that with teams, and when I do that with families, what happens is when we ask them to sit in the question of the very thing that is disturbing or troubling or whatever it is, and we try to do it for, you know, 10 minutes, for about the first three minutes, they can ask questions about. So if we go, where are we going to have dinner? What kind of where do we want to go and have dinner tonight? There's a question that's like, I wonder what kind of dinner we want. Or um, what would be an interesting place to go to? And those, those are genuine questions. But within about two minutes, you begin to hear this thing that they ask it as a question, but it's already an answer. Well, I think that, you know, uh, Chinese would be a really good idea. And the question mark is at the end of the word, but it's not a question, it's already an opinion. So I think it's that kind of, that it's that slow down. And we can go into the theories and stuff that we talked that you talked about before, and we will. But there is something about how do we do this on the street? If the thing that is your vision is about sacred change makers, how do we do it on the street? not just with us, the privilege that can afford to do the training that can do this work or that are owning a company or how do I do it with a person that is across from me in the checkout line that is cashing me out? How do I bring this kind of space to that place? Mm. That is the biggest challenge. And that's what the six-year-old probably can do depending on how they grew up. <laughs> right. And so I, I feel called to ask you now, which is 
like what would be what are the benefits of doing that in your everyday life like how does it shift things whether that's perspectives or the way you live your life or what you do or who you're being and becoming I don't know which way it's going to go but I just get this sense that as as you were talking it's almost like as humans we've kind of navigated our way outside of our bodies in some way we're on a timeline that we think we're like on the hamster wheel we've got to keep running or we're gonna like you know self-implode and this idea that you're this sensing into this leaning into already feels to me like a very different way of leading my life yeah the words that you use are, are golden the sensing into it the feeling into it i'm going to give you an example and yeah. um I was standing at Safeway um, checking out and I've started doing this kind of thing in the store. So they now know me as that lady who, who asks you these questions. And I go, it's this one that I go and you go, hi, Free John, I'm so glad you're my first client today. I just got here. It's a couple of, uh, was last year at some state. So he started talking with me and we're in conversation and I see a woman approach um, and there's a, a, a jug with milk standing on the counter and she comes in and she grabbed the jug and she smashed it on the on the uh, counter and she said thank you for forgetting my milk turned around and walked out and he's looking we go i haven't seen her before i just started was and he was totally he was totally thrown mm. as was i because it was a fairly human interaction and we stood there because everything paused for a moment. And I said, hmm, I wonder what happened to her just before she came here this morning. Mm. And he went, I haven't thought about that. That's what I mean. Right. It's, it can be so simple, but we are so used to be reactive. Yeah. Which is the banging it down and then the reaction to that. So there's something about Yes, we can do it every day. I can, you can, I can do it with my partner. I can do it with my spouse. I can do it with my kids. Hmm. I wonder what happened that made you, I don't know, but, but you could feel into the simplicity of how it can. We do it in a sophisticated way when we're sitting with our team members, when we're sitting with, and then we, you know, it becomes a discipline, a skill set. But unless it's alive in that feeling, sensing way, that I can bring to a street interaction, I don't think humanity is easily going to change. What's so valuable about what you're sharing here for me is you're kind of going beneath the surface of communication in a way of, of yeah. what we kind of take as the normal way that we speak to each other. And one of, as you were talking there, one of the things that kind of came up for me was we're socialized into, particularly in the West, of thinking we should know, we should have the answers. You know, if we're a mature human being, then we should know, and I'm going to say everything, right? We should have an answer for everything. And and that puts us in, in a conflict space. And, you know, I often think that's just us playing attack and defend and spiraling out of control. But here you are going beneath the surface with curiosity to just wonder but it actually it almost when you said that about the woman you know and I wonder 
what happened to her just before she came in. It's almost like there's a step back and a, a looking at what's happening in, I'm going to say a more objective way and a less subjective way of how it's impacting me right now, which yeah. seems so valuable, Marita, for us all to understand. But I guess there's someone learning for us to do because for that to happen, surely we have to be okay with uncertainty. Surely we have to be okay with not knowing. You know, it's a different energy that I feel. I, I think you I think you nailed it. And again, you can just feel how it took a pause. Yeah. In order to even get some. And I think it is that's why I'm talking about we've got to stop chasing the speed of change. We have to begin to settle into a pace that allows us to evolve in these, what sounds like very simple ways, but it's complex and challenging because it, it means we have to unlearn so much. And that's where I feel that, so, and I know in the book, System Inspired Leadership, you do talk about the being space and you talk about the doing space. But I, f I feel as you're talking here, and I'd love you, I'd love to get your sense of this, but it begins with who we think we are and who we think we're not, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> I think it's a little bit worse than that. I oh, think go on. yes. It begins <laughs> go on. to who I make up that I am exactly. and then who I make up who you are. Right. Because if we just if we just take that situation that I talked about and imagine that the cashier was a black man and she was a white woman. Mm. The dreaming would both of them were white. That made it a tiny bit easier for me to go to that space of I wonder what, but if you could put anybody in mm. that place in front of the till. And um, and it was a, um, a white woman and a black man behind the till or the other way around. You could see how what is around us immediately triggers us into that next process. That is a process of judgment. Yes. There's no curiosity there, none whatsoever. Right. It is an assumption by know who you are. Right. Mm. And I can just see as you were, you know, playing around with the two people in that scenario, how, you know, when you said if one was was black and one was white, and then I was thinking, well, what if it was a teenage black kid that came in with a white, you know, elderly male behind the tilt straight away, then I'm like, wow, like, I can feel my own judgment and bias coming up. That's it. So we have to go beyond that, don't we? We have to, like, put judgment aside and then that's where the pause, I think, comes in. So, and I, and I think, that, you know, doing what you're saying at the moment, and that's why for me it's, it's so important that we have this conversation on a mm. quote-unquote simple level. Yes. Because the moment we go too academic and too whatever, and we're going to go there, but it, it, we, it's so easy to lose humanity. Yes. Because I also noticed that when I gave those two examples, I immediately went to the shooting that happened recently. Right. Um, so uh, there are shootings that we can see and uh, 
you know, uh, that's mental health issues and uh, and all of that. And God. but there's also something that is about just that frozen frame that we get. Yes. Like when you know you and I talk and the um, internet is unstable and your frame freezes and usually most often when the frame freezes it's in the most unbeautiful way <laughs> it's us with this strange expression on our face and that becomes the projection of who you are so there's something about i just think it really is all of us needing to do our own work yes. what is my frozen frame when i see fill in the blank and how do I then need to rehearse to be different when I'm in front of that? Yes. But really, it starts with the work that I need to do on me. It doesn't matter how many degrees I have or how few I have mm -hmm. or how much money. It, it just it is that place where individually we have to learn how to slow down so that we can go faster because it's only then that we can begin to make that change systemically as well. Mm. You see, there's something up, else coming up for me as you're talking, which is around the balance of power in dynamic relationships. Say more. So what I mean by that is what I'm hearing you describe to me is feeling like this is about learning to be with a situation, another person, but just be with really and not jump to like you say judgment but I I also get the sense that you know when whether I'm in organizational life or everyday life I notice I think I notice today more than I ever have how much fear is driving behavior yes so yes. I think there's something in that inner work that inner journey that also kind of creates the ground if you like for this work that you're talking about here this different perspective yeah and i think that there is you know one of the things we're talking about in the book on systems inspired leadership as well um is something that we train in our courses but you can see how writing the book and reading the book and training the courses is on the consensus reality level mm. there is a, a level in which I need to practice that myself. And that it's a steeper learning curve as we get older, because mm -hmm. there's more complexity, there's more different things. I could, I could, I need to work with things now that 30 years ago, I pro could probably not, not even face. So mm -hmm. it's, it's that piece. And from that perspective, one of the things that we're talking about is that there are three iterative phases means repeating at the same time also phases of systemic and if you want to think relational or if you want to think individual but it's every since everything is systemic there are three phases of evolution that happens all the time and when i give it to you you'll see where we get stuck the first phase is meet mm -hmm. meet the person across from you where they are not where you think they should be. So again, mm -hmm. take the person in the store. I would want for her to be in the place that says, I think I forgot my milk jug here. 
thanks for keeping it, dear. That's not where she is. She is smashing it down and holding somebody else responsible. How do I meet where the person is? I think that's one of the biggest struggles. Whenever we go into a meeting, uh, whether it's as a leader, whether we go, how do I meet my team where they are today in this moment? Because I have no idea what happened to them outside the team just before they came in here. Mm. How do I meet them, not with my frozen frame of who I mm. think they are? Um, so meet is the first one. Um, if we really truly meet, then we can begin to reveal what's happening. Mm. So, and as we real, reveal what's happening, we can begin to move towards a different understanding and maybe we can align and act in terms of this is how we move. But even in that just little snippet of the experience, um, unless we could meet that person where they are and I could meet him standing across from me where he is, we couldn't have that conversation. Yeah. So how do we meet? Uh, and then once it's revealed, begin to use uh, what is there um, and then to together find out how do we align and act. I was on a call today with uh, our global leadership team and we were working around systemic equity and what is systemic equity and different things there. And um, one of them, at the end of the call, made a, with a chuckle, made a comment and she said, you know, we talk about meet, reveal, align and act. And I think what we most often do is meet, reveal and fix. Mm. Yeah. So it's that piece. How do we pause for long enough to not go to fixing? Mm. And you see, as you're speaking to this, I, I'm beginning to see the solution that you're bringing at different levels of this. So what I, what I what I see is because um, we haven't I haven't got you to actually explain what systemic equity is, but I've got a sense of it. Let me just say that. But it's what I was talking about with the power, like the power dynamics within relationships. I mean, how often? I'm just thinking about my own relationships at the moment. I'm thinking how often do I like practice what you're talking about here? Because <clears throat> very often I think I already know, like I, I think, as, and the more, the closer that person is to me, say one of my children that are all now adults, I think I know them. I think I know how they're going to respond. I'm going to make assumptions about how, and you know, why they're turning up the way they are with whatever energy they've got going on. And and then I do, I try and, with my kids particularly, this is my kind of Achilles heel, I try and save them, <laughs> right? And so well, as you're speaking, Marita, I'm thinking, <clears throat> you're talking here not just about emergence, you're talking about truly co-creating the relationship dynamic. And for co-creation, there has to be equity, Right. Because if one's out of alignment, then we get in the tell, sell, influence, whatever space and not really in the space of deep listening to what's going on between us. And then I went to the place of what if we were what if I found myself in an environment where I wasn't the only one with these skills? What would the so I of I go macro very easily I thought, what kind of a world would that be? 
<laughs> and that was where I was like, wow, because there's a co-creative emergent. Is that what you mean by yes. the evolution? Because yes. I see it going now. I can see the through line from yes. me and my inner world and all the assumptive stuff and judgments I live encased in, if you like. And then everybody else is doing that. It separates us. You, you, you nailed it. And I think it truly is being able to do that takes practice. Yes. And I think yeah. that my hope at the moment and where I have, where I have hope is that when I see uh, what is happening professionally in organizations, in the coaching industry, um, in there is an increase in reflection. Mm -hmm. So we now do, um, whether I'm a, uh, as a, even as a coach, um, we now do supervision um, with leaders. And it's not about marking quantitatively how they perform. It is about sitting in this process. Mm -hmm. When you sit with your team, and you just described the situation that just happened yesterday in a meeting, what shows up for you? What are you curious about? It's that kind of reflection. Mm -hmm. So I think that more and more there's a, and I am hesitant to say that, um, I grew up Dutch Reformed Christian. I have done some of the um, goddess teachings. I have done, so I'm a little bit polyamorous when it gets to religion at the moment. Um, but I think that if we look at what is common, there's a commonality that whether it is prayer or whether it is meditation or whether, whatever it is, there is in its purest form, there is this, this going quiet and reflect. Mm. And if we now today in our world begin to call it supervision or reflective practice, that is, I think, the way to navigate evolution um, and systemic change at the pace of evolution. Mm -hmm. um, and do we need to from there go to action and structures? Absolutely. This is not about throwing all of that out systems and we all rely on structures that can help structure and move things but we need to bring a different kind of equity in how we populate and work with that structure and that's part of what we talk about in systems inspired leadership and i think that is what systems inspired evolution is about is how do we bring this not only to the areas that we are privilege to have training in and have practice and done work but how do we bring it to the street how do we bring it to our everyday lives because that is that einstein quote unless i can explain it to a six-year-old i don't understand it my own self yet and unless we can do these things with somebody that i meet that i may never see again and there was something happening i think i often fake when I are in, am in front of people that are my professional uh, clients, uh, because then all of us will fail. So make that normal as well. Failure is a part of evolution. Right. But, so it's, it's simple, but it's complex.
Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. So if we've got, you know, our listeners are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, this is the direction I want to go in. I mean, can you give them any advice or, or like pointers to how to get started, how to begin to practice this new way of being? Because that's what it feels like to me. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, I think that there are tools and techniques that we can give, but I can uh, in the in the being state of things, how do I do? And I think some of it is to just get curious about what's going on. Mm. Um, and I'm going to give you an example of a valued client that I've worked with that um, has a, a young child um, that is on the spectrum. Um, and there was a period of time when she absolutely um, refused to eat she would you know throw the food down she would not eat and it came to impact her and she's done some of our work and what she did was a version of what we call uh, third entity work where you actually know that there's you there's me and there's our relationship that has its own voice so what she did was a version of that she said to the kid okay you sit at that side of the table where you're sitting i'm sitting here so tell me what's happening with you what's really going on there and the kid begins to you know do her thing and mom then says, when, you know, that happens, this is what's happening for me. And then mom says, so she played with her around with that a little bit. And then mom says, okay, so if both of us shift around and sit at the, you know, at the head of the, ahead of the table together. And we ask the relationship between us, the mom, male kid relationship, what does it want? They sat down and the kid said, it says you need to let her, her go to the store and her go to the grocery and help with the shopping. And that's what they did. So the next time they went and she said, okay, you've got the car, take us to where we need to go. The kid took them to the fresh produce. She picked up fruit. She picked up veg, she picked up different things and she started eating. So again, if we, there's a place where we begin to find out what it is that's going on, ask the questions, what's really going on for you? Not because you meet and then reveal what's happening, not because you're going to fix it, but a little bit with my mediator hat on as well, there needs to be a ventilation, there needs to be a clearing of what's, you know, think of a pressure cooker where you need to let off some of the pressure. Um, so first go to the place. What's really going on for you? Tell me more. Really? It's that big. Go there. Um, and then begin to get curious about how might we do it differently or how it's not about giving up your power. It is about finding where is the place where everybody feels enough equity that we can together solve it at the level that is possible for the kid or my friend that I'm sitting with or my spouse, mm -hmm. not just from where I think we should be. So right. it's, again, it's that um, in its simplest terms of sitting in curiosity and then, well, how might we do it different? And then you can go, no, I don't really like that one. Can we brainstorm some more? This, but you can feel how it is a need for us to slow down. Mm is part of what sets us up to do things differently. Yeah. And when in that example, you know, you were asking the system to speak, to That's reveal right. itself, 
that feels like it has so much value for the people in that interaction because that's not something we normally do we don't we don't even acknowledge that there are all kinds of assumptive behaviors and biases and things swirling around us we kind of just ignore that and and carry on so it seems to me your work is incredibly valuable in the world and what I love about it is it doesn't feel like a grand oh let's go and change the world and we've got all these big ideas and we're going to go and do that it actually starts grassroots with one individual in an interaction and so it's very doable I think so I think so I think that um in my own personal journey I think that's been part of my own hopefully evolution as well is that Yes, are we making a massive global impact with the training that we do and with all the things that we do out there and the coaching and the name it. Um, But I am more and more looking at how can I bring that to the kid that I meet on the street that just did something that I know their parents are going to yell at them for. Or how do I do it with the team member that... I just really struggle with because I can't figure out what's going on. It's how do we get out of the fixing into together align and act on how to do it differently. And I think and believe that we've now seen it across different cultures, across multiple uh, sectors, um, including schools and families and, you know, um, business uh, transformation. What I've seen is this whole concept of everybody can get out your own voice, get out what are these things going on with you? What do you think needs to happen? Do that piece, Mm. but then have people go and sit in the chair of this system of the relationship that holds it. I can't tell you how many Fortune 400 companies, when we're looking at mergers and acquisitions and different places, um, we, we did this kind of thing with in different cultures. And it's fascinating what shows up when you ask people to go and sit in the chair of, name the company, mm. go and sit in the chair of Sierra Global. What does it want mm. for us to do now? That's a very different piece from the mission and vision that individually or as the intellectuals or as the whatever we can come up with that's a very different piece so when you sit in the chair of crr global what does it want it's a moment in which i hate you for the question but um the chair that uh, Sierra Global spoke from a while back, that voice remains that says, remember that relationship matters. Mm. How do I want you to be able to follow that without destroying relationship at the same time? Mm. I don't know why, but I feel really emotional as you say that. Yeah. Marita, I'm noticing the time and I'm just going to say thank you. That was an incredible conversation. 
I loved every moment of it. And I know our audience will have got so many insights from what you shared today. So thank, thank you, you, my friend. I really, really appreciate <laughs> sitting with you in the dialogue and uh, discovery. Yeah, it's lovely. And so I just want to finally ask you, is there any words of wisdom? It might be something we haven't got to, something you'd like to share with our audience, just something to leave them with, I guess. What might it be? I would say uh, value every expression from the individuals as not only their own opinion, but it's also an expression from the system that they're part of. Wow. That really expands my sense of communication in a way of what it is that I'm listening to as well. And I mean that inside of myself, but also to the, the people that I'm in conversation or relationship with, but also this idea of the relationship and what it wants to say. So powerful. Thank you so much, my friend. You're so welcome. <laughs> You're so very welcome. It's been a pleasure to sit with you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. And before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to the members of the Soul Business Accelerators who are our podcast sponsors and our extended community who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense maybe that you have a calling or maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.